Um, I'm Jacob, and this is a Maker Tale. I'm Rusty Allen. I'm uh, a retired high-performance compute network architect. So I met Rusty accidentally. Um, I was interviewing somebody else, um, and he was sitting in a chair nearby, and as I was leaving, he said hello, and we started talking, and it sounded pretty interesting. So uh, here we are. Right. As you know, I worked 30-plus years in the industry, and I went from a COBOL programmer straight out of college. I have a degree in computer science, 1979, Texas A&M. And uh, back then, there was not too many people doing that. And uh, I worked in various slots and jobs and, and did a lot of cool stuff over the time. And toward the end, I was doing some really cool stuff. So right when you started, how many uh, kilobytes of RAM did the computer have? Kilobytes? <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Kilobytes? <laughs> when we were started, you, you were lucky to have one. Oh, really? Oh, okay, well, so... You know, you know, you know, uh... The, oh, yeah. The, the, what am I thinking? Bytes, obviously. Duh. The kilobytes, you know, you were, you know, the 5K chip came out and everybody was glorious. It was like, 5K, you, what are we going to do with 5K of memory on a chip? <laughs> and then... People were writing basic interpreters that fit in 5K back then. That was the big thing. Crazy. So, we're not talking punch cards. Oh, I started punch cards. Oh, okay. You know, the masses still had to use the punch cards. They, they didn't get, you know, uh, terminals at the college toward toward the end of my graduation year. But I started out punch, doing punch cards, reading cards through reader, punch readers, and, you know, you know that if you really, if you can ever get hold of some chat from punch cards, that some way really messed somebody up. You'll never find it if you put it in their packs and this stuff. It's so fine. It will, it's just... It's worse than glitter. <laughs> that's hilarious. So that's the little pieces of paper you mean when? Oh yeah, when, the when famous they make the punch cards. Okay. Yeah, that when. Yeah. So, I guess I don't know. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you're lucky because you've gotten to see the progression of Moore's law, basically. Oh yeah. So you've gotten to see it start from punch cards and go to. Go further back when I was a young kid. Uh, I grew up in Pasadena, Texas right outside of NASA Manned Spacecraft Center in Johnson. Oh, that's cool. So, so I, my, uh, the fathers of my, my friends, you know, were engineers down at NASA. You know, and they, I mean, I was a, a small kid looking out the back, back of my house, and when I was four years old, I, I saw five miles of empty farmland, and then three years later, there was 40,000 houses there. <laughs> that's crazy. So, I, so when I was... I got to see a lot of compute stuff, you know, you know, in NASA when I was a kid, you know, and, you know. So, it, did you get tours of NASA and? What do you mean tours? I mean, like, you know, you know. You just the, go there after school? You know, not after tours, but, you know, the, we got the, we got the first flush of all the tours that they eventually sent around, but you just, you know, be at the scout meeting and start talking to this guy's dad, and you know, and what are you doing? Well, yeah, I'm working on the design of the thrusters for the, the landing <laughs> landing module control system. <laughs> you know, I'm on that team. Yeah, I'm pushing for this 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 solution to this problem. And you start talking about you know, you know, you know, reactive thrust systems and control vectors and stuff like that. So rocket science. Yeah. <laughs> so 
So we've established you grew up around rocket scientists. Oh yeah, I mean, um, a friend of my my a friend of my uh, my brother, you know, um, back in the early '60s, they made some sort of claim about there was no foreign scient foreign Russian German scientists or foreign scientists working, you know, on the NASA program. Well, a friend of my brother's told us his story. He was. They were living in New Mexico at the time, and they were dragged out of bed, dragged to a federal judge, and they were naturalized on the spot because they found out that Johnson was going to make this claim. So they had to naturalize him and his family and his that's, brother. That's so, so Johnson, Johnson wouldn't be, say that. Couldn't be, wouldn't be lying when he makes a statement. That's hilarious. That's really funny. Oh, yeah, the guy holds, uh, his father held, held a, a lot of basic patents on, on some rocket nozzle technology. Wow, that's really cool. So, I was around all these guys, you know. So, I don't know. I can't even imagine what it would be like to grow up around. I think if you talk to somebody who was a kid in the projects for the Manhattan Project, they probably would have similar stories. Who's that guy over there? Who's that guy, you know, handing out bubble gum? Oh, that's Feynman. Who? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So, when you were growing up, your parents. Uh, like I'm assuming you expressed interest in all these computers oh, yeah. and like well, all this stuff. My, so. my father was an aviation technician. Oh, awesome! So he he was he was um, you know when he first started back in the 40s, uh, he you know he, he was small enough to fit in in the plane and it was very strong up because these, these things were weighed like you know I'll use pounds of like 40 pounds to like have a three-channel radio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and when he was when he retired, he was put in glass cockpits. He worked in the corporate world rather than the military world, which is very interesting in terms of aviation technology. So, corporate world, like, uh, corporate aviation world, you mean? Right. That's very cool. So, did you get to learn how to fix planes? Well, I grew up crawling around in old bombers and 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 other planes back in the 60s. That's, that's There's nothing like jumping up and down in a bomb bay of, a, of an old bomber <laughs> and screaming to your brothers at the controls, you know, uh, you know, open the doors. Open the bomb. You got it. <laughs> open the bombing doors. That's awesome. You know, uh -huh. I mean, the weird stuff was going on. I mean, um, when I was a kid, we went to this park called Sylvan Park, and there was a chimney capsule there, bolted down and open. Just, just sitting there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We, we used to play in the Super Saber that they left at the park, the Strawberry Park, for a while. That's, but oh my gosh. That'd be so much know, fun. And you know, it was like you could crawl in the back and all the way out the front, front, the front intake. That'd be so much fun. You know, well, the, you know, yeah. You, kids learn not to get cut up walking, uh, crawling through airplanes. So, but there was this capsule bolted down. Me and my brother played on it, and then we pestered my father to take us back to the park, take us back to the park, and we went back. It was still there, but bolted closed, and then it disappeared. Twenty years later, I was reading a Smithsonian magazine, and it was about the first archivist at NASA and Johnson Space Center, Center, and his statement was, they were just taking stuff out the parks and letting kids play on it. <laughs> so now every time I, I'm in a museum and I see, an, a, it was a, probably a, a hot test bed, a late test bed. Yeah. Because it was fully switches and everything. It was, oh, man. You know, it was so cool. I it mean, wouldn't last a second these days. But. Oh, yeah. But but I, I, every time I see one now, I think, is that the one I played on? That's <laughs> so cool. So what was your favorite airplane growing up? Hey, guys. Hey, uh, I was... To, to my favorite airplane in terms of just fan, uh, airplane fan? Yeah. Uh, the Lightning. 
I, oh, it's fantastic. I love the Lightning. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think the P38 and the Lightning are my favorite. Hmm. Uh, what was it? Yeah, the twin boom. The yeah, P th yeah, that's the one I'm thinking. So P38 Lightning and the Mustang was the was other one. P47, yeah. which was the P46. And they, then they put the Rolls-Royce engine in it, and it, it became the P47. Got it. Because it was available. Or the airframe was based on a frame that was yeah, underpowered. Yeah, the extent of my plane nerdiness is just how they look. <laughs> yeah, private pilot, yeah. IFR graded. You know, oh, so. Awesome. So you've been flying for a long time then? Off and on. It's an expensive hobby, and I'm too cheap. <laughs> Okay, so when when did you get your pilot license? About 25 years ago. So after school and... Oh yeah, when I started working. But back to the cool stuff I did. Um, you know, uh, I guess the background, since we are at a science fiction convention. Yes, we are at a science fiction Dragon convention. Con, okay, we, we got the Dragon Con thing in, so that way your, your yeah. press credentials and they're free, they're getting their free advertisement. <laughs> Fair enough. And uh, so with the, um, uh, I was, went to Texas A&M, did, started computer science, in computer science, and joined the uh, local science fiction club at the college. And we did a convention. It was called AggieCon. Okay. And at the time, it was one of the biggest, at that time, not anymore, things have changed, but at the time, it was one of the biggest science fiction conventions in the United States at that time. It and ranked, how many people would show up to it? Like About 8,000. Wow. This was like in 1977. So that's a big deal. Yeah, this was before the track cons. Because around 77 or so, around there, that's when you started having the commercial trek, trek cons that built up yeah, a lot so of the commercial... Did, um, I don't know when the first, like, Comic-Con was, for example. Um, but the first Spider-Man comic was, what, the... F 1961 or two was a book. Yeah. So Stanley kind of, like, started that whole movement. And then so I don't know when the first Comic-Con was after that. So you so were right there in the beginning. Well, one, one beginning. There's a beginning. Everybody's... Everybody thinks the per oldest person in the room was there at the beginning, and he's thinking, oh, well, but there was other guys that were there. That is fair. <laughs> <laughs> there was other guys when I was younger that were at the beginning. <laughs> but, yeah. So, so, uh, so, first science fiction convention. So, you know, we did science fiction conventions, and... Uh, so that included Star Wars and Star so Trek and basically everything? Right. So, because it happened back then, there was a, there was a lot more mix of science and science fiction. And the yeah. you know, the people and stuff like that, but uh, but that drew my interest, got me into computers, then graduated, and uh, started doing the COBOL programmer thing in the beginning for a little while, then moved into system port, moved into networking, jumped through a few companies, and then landed at a geophysical exploration company about 26 years ago. Cool. So that's how it started. Or? Oil exploration. Cool. So um, for you people who don't know. There was big data before there was big data, and we were it. Yeah. Well, us and the NSA. So <laughs> we uh, we were uh, doing te we were doing terabytes and gigabytes before everybody. Uh, we uh, we would you know use multiple systems, multiple computers. We run them twenty four hours a day. So what kind of stuff were you me like measuring? Like just like elevation? Well, no, no, data no. What it is is basically you uh, you take an acoustical signature. Oh, cool! I and love take, acoustics. Sorry. And you, and you basically take and create an acoustical event every so many microseconds and take a a sample of all the reflections of sound over a grid. Oh, that's so cool! You got to you know you so you probably have several thousand grid points. Yeah. And then you then do that over and over for a long time, and 
over many kilometers. And you get and then a you, map, basically. And then you get this giant piece of noise. And then what you have to do is filter out the noise and identify the original signal as it's been transformed. Because it's it's transformed by the, the rock that it goes through. I'm thinking of the math involved, and my m brain is going, oh. Okay, the Fourier transforms, <laughs> lots of them. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the mathematics. I, I do like Fourier transforms. But, but you know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's a real lot of crunch. <laughs> and that's a lot of crunch. So we're right down there. And I mean, I, I'm thinking of it from the aspect of even having like a computer that'll do it for me. So like <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a really highly intensive business. Always has been. So are they still using the same technique? Oh yeah. That's cool. The deal is, is that the mathematics has been well formed for over a hundred years. It's just that the we're reaching levels of compute that that they able to use the data more and more in a raw form. So, uh, give me a location example of where you did a GNC. Oh, so underwater. Yeah, they mapped the whole GNC one time. Well, I, I actually think that um, when I was in school, I had a scholarship sponsor, um, and he worked on a Navy boat or on a submarine, doing almost exactly what it sounds like you were doing. Well, but it's he a very was the one. He was the one making the sound and getting it's the very, data back. The mathematics is almost identical. That's really cool. But we're, the sample size is a lot larger. So than basically, you mapped the entire floor of the GNC. Not the floor underneath the floor. Uh, we're not concerned with the surface. Oh. They're, they're looking at the, the geological structure beneath the surface. That's so cool. So we're, we're trying to basically, that's what I said, they're being transformed. So for your high performance, so we're laying the basics of what high performance compute task is. Yeah. Uh, give an example. When they shot the AGNC, they, I think the final run was around 200 pallets of tapes. 200 pallets of, I'm assuming, magnetic reels you're talking about. Well, cartridges. This was, oh, okay. was cartridges. So at that time, a cartridge might have been maybe about 2 gig. That's crazy. Oh, you know, 200 maybe pallets. 200 to 300 pallets, yeah. So pallet is what? Like it's 4 feet by 4 feet by 4 feet? Somewhere around there, yeah. So a cartridge is what? Like 6 inches? Yeah, 6 inches square, about about four and a half, five inches square, about about an inch and a half. Oh my god, that's a lot. Like oh, and that heat. that was in the nineties. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, uh, or really, no, I think the early eighties. But yeah, which that's a that's, lot. That's very very cool. A lot of data. So they have all this data, and so that the the we have to get it back, and then we have to then filter it with processes to do it. So I was involved with the company. I got involved with networking back something called. Mainframes and SNA, so I'm an S no about SNA. So I, when we started doing uh, IP networking here, I got involved, and you know, and I was pretty much involved with their their explosion when the first Beowulf clusters came around. We built ours within a few weeks. Oh, that's so cool. And uh, you know, we pretty that, that, much that was the first like supercomputer, right? Well, there were Cray machines and CDC machines, and there was a lot of other single-frame supercomputers. And uh, okay, but that was the first of the clustering. Okay, that, so the, the first super cluster. The clustering, the low-cost clustering cool. supercomputers, and uh, and when the first came, the company we worked for, they just took off. I mean, that's the nature of the way we did things. We were small groups. We're all highly motivated professionals, and they were just interested. We didn't have, because we were the, okay, 
in the seismic business, they have a lot of failure. Okay, makes sense. Okay, it's because the nature of the business is that they go and do, t if they do projects on spec, which means they go out and collect the data themselves and then try to sell it, they're aware that they have about only about a, a one in 10 chance of really having a big success. That is that because everything's always moving, or no? People might not be interested in the data. Uh, huh. We're collecting the data. The, the, the book, the book boat has to make a sharp turn, breaks the breaks the towed array. There goes sinks twelve million dollars. <laughs> oh, so, so you were towing towing the data collection system. Right, it's being towed as a towed array. That's so. So it's cool. several kilometers long, a couple of kilometers of loss. Oh my god! So so it's just like a giant net of. Microphones, yes. or seismic phones, yeah. That's so cool. So, so, and a lot of things can go wrong. Yeah, I can imagine. And you lose a lot of money. So, a fish the, get caught in there, or a large fish gets caught. Well, it had to be a fairly large fish, yeah, like whale, large or fish, yeah. you know, <laughs> mainly a Greenpeace with a little boats running around and bad oil companies. But uh, they, you know, they, uh, so they're used to a lot of failures. So they were very, very, very. Uh, lenient in terms of going out and doing weird stuff. You, somebody would come in and say, hey, I've been reading about this Beowulf cluster stuff. Do we have, we have some old machines? Can I have like a, you know, buy about 10 or 15 machines and we'll, we'll take a look at it? And then you look, oh, okay. <laughs> Here's a rack, put it together. Do you think it'll work? Hey, it put it together. It's really working pretty good. Uh, let's test it out. How many do we want to buy? Oh, let's get 200. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> well, the largest. Why? Why do you want two hundred? Well, the, the biggest person's. Well, we've done the math, and we can at two hundred, we can probably get something that you know we're able to produce this level of work. But has anybody ever done two hundred? No, we we think we can. <laughs> so we did two hundred. So when the first Beowulf cluster came out, we were, had a hundred nodes, which was what's the, within about our first deploy. Our second deploy, we expanded it up to four hundred. And so then, what are they at now? Oh, we're for super clusters. Like I mean, like do you, I don't remember what the number is. Depends on your definitions. I'll I'll get there eventually. Yeah, I'll hold that in mind. So we, you know, then we started networking together, and we saw the networking costs, and we started building faster and faster networking. And I was got involved with that piece of the network. Cool. So uh, we soared through eight. We soared through eight thousand right rather right quick. That's, that's awesome. Eight thousand nodes, and then we. I told them. And are you still crunching this uh, data from the geophysical right. stuff? Right. Okay. And it's and it's and it's a multi-phase process. So that what's happening is that we started used to be we have to go through a lot of reiteration of the data. So we're getting able to process it in larger and larger chunks. And faster. Faster and also larger chunks. That's cool. So we were able to and then eventually got to where we could stop doing certain processes that were intermediate, quick cuts and just get closer and closer to the to certain mathematical aspects of it but yeah so we grew to 8,000 that was around uh, 2003 2004 8,000 nodes and then we started having network design issues and a thought of battle and we came up with we were deployed in the mid 2000s the first equal cost multipathing okay cluster ECMP we were pretty early on in that so with that designed we uh, our high water mark in terms of network devices was at one point I had over 3,000 network devices in the architecture. Oh my God. Can't even imagine keeping track of that. Yeah, and that was like in 1970, 19, 2007, 2006. Whew. 
so maybe 2005. It, it, and Somewhere we, in that area. Yeah. Well, it's, the deal is, is that we were a small crew, and we were, we would do things like, we're turning it off this weekend. Okay. Uh, what are we going to do? We're going to pull out half the computer room, replace it. And by the way, do you want to redesign the network? Yeah, we want to change it there. Oh, so we would spend 40 hours straight. Oh my God! Just just rewiring, reconnecting everything. Doing everything, and you know, when we started, the company started on a cycle. We replaced half the computer room every year. Wow! So where were you based? Out of Houston. Okay. It was originally the company was Western Geophysical, which got slumped up by by Baker Hughes and then kicked over to Schlumberger. So I left from Schlumberger. Okay. Schlumberger. Is that a international company? Oh yeah, big international oil field services company, okay. like the number one. So that's that's what the the ultimate goal of the geophysical survey is to find oil, basically. Right. That if you like, want to find water or you know, know where the meteorite <laughs> hit a couple of thousand years ago, you know. <laughs> yeah. So like, were you ever around when a signal was totally cleaned up, and you saw what the oh, result yeah, the, was? I, yeah, and I, my brother does that. My brother so is, that, a, is an exploration geophysicist. So oh, that's cool. So uh, yeah, and I don't understand what they're looking at either. Because so it's just a waveform, right? Oh, no. it's a it's a specialized chart. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, but the, the the cleaned up signal that you get. Yeah, it doesn't look anything like an object you would see. Basically, it's, it's a waveform. Yeah, yeah it's a yeah. it's a big chart with all these little waveforms, and it's a time based, signal based axis. Interesting. <laughs> That's what the the old form that they used. Now they do, they do computer stations yeah, and stuff like, like that. Bing. But yeah, the oil. <laughs> yeah, quite. They want it that no, way, but, <laughs> but it's not quite the same. But yeah, we were toward the end. We were doing um, uh, the the um, yeah the the whole. To give you an idea, we were using start. Okay, how I'm going to start getting to the the techno words for you guys. That's fine. Yeah. How, basically, we're using a uh, 6509s. And we were using them to create a um, a uh, broad flat uh, spanning tree, a broad, a uh, wide and a fat tree okay. of of uh, architecture. So we had basically at the core we had f four um, 6509s was our first design into the heavy duty, and then we had 60 6509s. So this is how it's branching out. Out leaving out. Now, what I did, which was, I don't think the people who are working, I was working for understand what I did. They had all the different clusters because the nature of the work we did, they bought every element in a purchase, so cluster D, the equipment was identical. What I mean by identical, down to the mod level of every board. Wow. Okay. Reason being is that since we're doing Fourier transforms, if you're familiar with Fourier transforms, injection of an error it's can a big deal. is a big deal because it propagates. It can it can propagate and amplify. Yeah. So, the ideal they have was that they make sure that all the equipment was exactly identical, so that any error would inject would cause it to shift the same. And they only had to, if they spotted an error, they only had to apply a function to it. That's really cool, actually. <laughs> they only had to apply a function to it to 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 subtract out the error out of out of the uh, out of the animated results. Okay. Okay. See exactly so, what I'm talking so, about. So they they discovered this because I'm assuming. Yeah, they ran it. They ran it. They ran some stuff on two different computers, and, and <laughs> things did, come out right. They, out they couldn't different. fit it back together. <laughs> they were very upset. <laughs> 
And then they went, oh, this is going to cost a lot of money. So so that we found that out pretty early on. Yeah. But so you said you went from 4 to 60, and then did you continue to... Oh, yeah. The, we... And toward the end, we because of our refresh cycle, we went from um, we no longer purchase in servers, we purchase in racks. Cool. You know, so we would move in sixty to eighty racks at a time. So, uh, just to give somebody like a visualization of one of these clusters, how many racks might there be in a room for just one? Um. I'm saying, imagine. I'm trying to say, space-wise. I'm trying to think. High school auditorium. Okay, that's pretty big. Okay, um, it would run probably along of better yet, basketball court. Okay. Not the stands, just the court itself. Yep. You know, uh, me, you know, that's about. What is the size of basketball? Mm, I don't know. I can find out pretty easily. Oh, Let's see. Well, people who prefer racks, okay, imagine running a hundred racks in a straight line and then back again. Do that around, uh, do that around uh, with about five rows. So a rack is uh, about 48, two and a half. Oh, you're talking about 48 inch racks. 48 inch racks. Oh, okay. So that's way bigger than I thought. That's insane. So, so, and we had like four. We had three main computer rooms. And there's there's uh, cooling units in between those racks, right? No, no. So how hot would one of these rooms get? Forced air. Yeah. So it's an old. These were old mainframe rooms. So without it, though, it would catch on fire pretty quick. Oh, melt. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We had some heat events. You stopped. If we, if we, if we uh, stopped the forced air. Uh, once full go, um, yeah, the the lead would 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 uh, vaporize, get so hot. That's crazy. So basically, all the components would just fall off the board, in, in within yeah. the computer. Yeah, and all the cables would melt, and it just be you know n- not fun. A disastrous mess. Wow, that's that's crazy. Yeah. So the you know the um, the uh, so, but toward the end, that was a beginning design. Then we went to um, the Nexus, uh, Cisco Nexus series. So that was the one gig world, and toward the end we were moving. We were one of the highest users of, and early users of 10 gig connectivity too. 65 and 9s, we were doing 10 gig that fiber optic cables. That was around 2003, 2004. Okay. I always wonder where the connectors come from, because some of the connectors were like, that had a stamp date of manufacture of, of 1979. And I was thinking... Like fiber optic connectors you Yeah. <laughs> and I was going, who was, who was using fiber optic connectors of this type? In 1979, and then I started thinking, could could this have been in Alaska, uh, in Alaska in the, in the Azores, or maybe coming off a scaffold flow? Because that's, <laughs> that's, that's about the only person I could think of that might be wanting to, you know what I'm talking about? I think so. The the sonar the sonar lines. Yeah, yeah. You know, coming, you know, the deep sonar, you know, deep sonar lines back in the 70s and 60s. That's cool. Coming off the off the military races, it just is just. Hot, weird speculation. I'm just kind of going. Most likely, they probably were seven. maybe military stuff. Yeah, they were, were pretty hefty. Yeah. Also, they could have just been sitting in Omaha and you know yeah. lighting up AT and T network somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Most likely, that's probably where. But yeah, it was kind of cool. But yeah, we went. So at the end, I basically, if you measure um, um, bandwidth at the center, 
of our, my architecture, that architecture. I was into like the um, um, 20, 30 terabit. And That's impressive. Yeah. We, one of my favorite stories early on was we were using a 6509, which we had fully populated with 10 gig connectivity. And we were, it was a center of, a, of an architecture design. And we were running full, full bandwidth on all the ports simultaneously. And this was like 19, 2003. And we uh, called the manufacturer and saying, you know, we're seeing some oddity. At, like at, you're at not this supposed to do that. No, no, it was worse. It said that we called their uh, high performance guy, which we knew. He said, "Hey, Drew, hey, what's going on?" He said, "We're seeing some ID at this at this level," and he said, "What? Yeah, well, yeah, we're we're running 10 gig. We're running full bandwidth in and out on all the ports simultaneously across the whole the whole chassis, and and you know we're seeing some weird stuff. Can you test? Can you put it in your lab and?" And, and see if you can recreate this issue, we can, we can address it. And he whined, well, I, I can't do that in my lab. <laughs> so he was, he, was, he was a nice guy, real nice guy. Had a pretty good career. But yeah, they, we were doing some really weird stuff. Now, um, still now, uh, you know, the, uh, you know we, uh, we would talk to the vendors and vendors would talk to us. And, a lot of the technology that you're seeing coming out in the um, and the, the people seeing coming out the, the cloud, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Not a fraction of it came out of the, the cluster computing. It came out of where we would push the edge on things. You okay. Know. Was, um, you know, the vendors came to us because they knew that we were pushing certain edges. You know, I mean, how many people had you know you know 400 gigabit plus flows. Like the, none, you know, in the network and stuff like that, and there's some, but you know, you so are they still using the same technique to collect data like this? Or are oh yeah, it's basically the same stuff. Changes here and there, but you know, the basic the basic stuff is cool. You know, they uh, it's really pretty good. Cool. So you uh, you mentioned you wanted to talk a little bit about like uh, oh creativity. Oh yeah, that's see that's the the. It was a confluence of, of, of people, place, and time that created this environment that allowed us to do this. I've talked to friends who've left and friends, you know, people, other companies. You just don't have companies that will allow you to roll, you know, say, you know, say go into a meeting and say, you know, hey, you know, they say, well, what do you need? Well, I need networking for, for this design. Well, how much is it going to be? Um, um, four and a half mil, and they say, "Hey, that's that. The whole project's sixty. So, hey, that's nothing." <laughs> Only you know, right, write a check. <laughs> you know, write a check. So, you know, you know, when do we order it? You know, well, we need it. You know, well, it's Tuesday. Uh, does the, can we the vendors have it all here by? <laughs> well, so I work in an industry where I think nickel and dime everything. So, like. Um, I do MEP consulting for buildings, so we'll get a design from an architect with, say, a certain type of light fixture across the entire building, and then we'll do the whole design, send it out, and then a week later, they'll come back and they'll be like, well, we value engineered this, and we're replacing every single one of these light fixtures because we don't want to pay that extra $3,000, and I'm like... Uh, it's just super frustrating. So, like that, the ability. The industry is starting to get that way, but that's really? one. Yeah, 
but the because uh, you know it waxed, but it was a, a confluence of technology, time, and people. Because we, uh, you know, we did all this stuff with a network crew of five people, and you know, people people now would just be like, "What? I need like forty for that." And people really misunderstood my role because here I was down there, you know, somebody four in the morning calls and said something needs to be fixed, you know. You'd be there, yeah. I'd be there. I had the guy who, I was the senior architect who designed it all. You know, they don't realize. Whereas now the senior architect calls up his lackey and says, go fix this. Well, more mainly senior architect, look at the specs for the, 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 the process that, uh, that's written down and follow the process, you know, why are you? <laughs> yeah, why are you calling me? Why are you calling me, you know. The, the company I work for had a very much attitude, if you build it, you answer for it. And so that means that over the long term, I didn't want those calls. So I built it so that I didn't get those calls. Interesting. You know, so, the, and, but, the, and, but it was a convoce of creativity because in a lot of circumstances, when you're in the, no matter what it is, is that you, to really be creative in an organization is almost impossible because you have to break, I call it the, the destruction of white. People always say the creativity is, you know, you're creating things. Well, when you create something, you're also destroying something. The painter destroys the white canvas to put his picture on it. <laughs> you know, so when you when you have creativity in the corporate world, there's somebody who owns the white canvas that's ha perfectly happy with it, and that's his gig. <laughs> and you're just destroying it. You're destroying the his gig, taking out taking money out of his department because he has the white he has the white canvas. <laughs> he's the white canvas guy. So if you get rid of white canvas by, you know, painting over, then there's no more white canvas for him to take care of. So it's interesting because, like, before, they're, like, for props, for example, people would make them from scratch. Now it's almost like there, there isn't a white canvas because you just got a computer screen. It's always the same. And you can start from, quote, unquote, nothing, but the software... But but it, the, there still is the white canvas. It's that you, you know you come in and say, I want to do a military style science fiction story, and you come in with you know everybody wearing you know felt hats and and green coats and, <laughs> and stuff. They're going to go crazy on you <laughs> because the white canvas is the perception of what they think military science fiction is. You you have to destroy. To really be creative, so you, you, have have to, to, you have to destroy perceptions. You have to destroy something physical. Oh, that's, that's really cool. You have to destroy the expectations. So that's the thing. Is that you know, um, I mean, one of my transformations of my network when I was doing it is that uh, this guy said, you know, oh, oh you know, we're going to be late on this project, and yeah. They will be late on this project, and uh, I said, it says, well, we can do this instead. Well, he already told everybody that, that he was going to be late. It was going to be late, and I can't do anything about it, right? And I become this big savior, and he was the big guy. You know, always oh, going to be late. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's got it. He's already, you know. And I come in and say, here, whoop, choop, 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 choop. We move this here, move that Fixed there. Done. You know, you know, we go from this structure, from we go from a layer three center core to a layer two center core, and then we go from, so that then we, you know, we do it to three. You know, we do equal cost multipathing at the edge, right at the center as layer three. So it's a layer two thing, and then we, you know, we said, and uh, we have the equipment here, and I can plug it in and get it ready tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> and he goes, why'd you do that? No, he was really upset. Eventually, he got me fired. 
took him about ten years, but he about six years. But yeah, he eventually got me got well not fired. I they came around with, got you to leave. Got, they came around with a package that with business was going south. They came around with the package and you know I they told gave or gave me money to leave and I calling it I'm calling it a retirement. <laughs> hey, can only complain so much, right? Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like when I got to my current company, I got there and I realized that none of the, none of the toolbars in the software work like they're supposed to. And everyone, I'm just watching all these engineers just, like, slog through how long it takes to use these tools. And I'm just like, I don't even know programming, and I know that you can do this way better and way faster. So I taught myself a programming language Lisp, which is awful. Um, yeah, it has this, I, I've known hundred. I know a lot of programming languages. Don't even go go there. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure you do, but I'm not trying to compare myself to you. But like, and I taught myself this programming language and made the toolbars so they worked for me. And then the other departments were like, "Oh, can can you do that for me?" I was like, "Well, maybe if the bosses pay for it." Um, but it's just. There's a network. A guy left our building, went to another location in the organization, and he was every afternoon, morning at ten o'clock. The network would slow down and seize up, and then everybody would get up and wander around for a while, and then they go have you know stuff, and then they would come back after about twenty thirty minutes and be fine again. It'd be fine again. They start working again, and then in the afternoon it was starts it would seize up again and have problems, and nothing would work, and everybody would get up and wander around for a bit. And, Sat down and so he, he he went to one of the guys there. He said, "Hey, what's going on here? You know, this network's really, really bad. It should be fixed." And the guy looked at it. First thing he said, "Well, it works this way. That's the way it works." And by the way, even if it did make it f run faster, when would I take my breaks? <laughs> <laughs> Expectation. That's fantastic. So this, you know, but back to the creativity thing is that uh, I was very lucky in that um, to be able to create what I did. And the, the group of people were all very creative. Uh, and minor decisions, looking back, some people made like 10 years before or later paid us off big time in terms of, you know, people were truly visionary in their, in their decisions throughout the organization. It was not just me, it was like a, a concert of guys who just happened to be all in the same company working on it. So it was almost like a mini skunks work. We just kind of happened to be there and the, the projects came along, we put it together. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally it was the, you know, if I, since I built it as one, arch, one architect for the networking side, if they actually wanted to, we could have had a round, because our high water mark, we probably could have had around a, a 45,000 node cluster because they could have ran them as, as everything as a single cluster if the profit they wanted to. So did you ever move into like the GPU clusters? Or oh yeah, we big time. So. Oh yeah, they, uh, we, they, NVIDIA is very, was very, 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 so, very, very uh, nice to us. And we were very nice to them. In, in flops, can you tell me how fast one of these would be? <sighs> okay. NVIDIA cards, we put four yep. in each video card. Those are like teraflops, right? Right, put four of them in each node. Okay. Each node had four to eight processors, depending. Okay. Bigger processor over, and so, and some of our clusters in those size, we probably total number of units of those type architecture was probably about two-thirds of the environment, which means 
at that time, we were probably talking about 12,000. 12, so, petaflops. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> More than petaflops. That's insane. So, oh yeah, so 12,000, so what is after peta? I don't even know. Exa, I think. Exa, <laughs> that's insane. But we're close to exa. That's very, very cool. If they ran it as a single. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, when we sliced it up, it was a lot less because they, they sliced it, they viewed it as in slices. Well, I mean, is there a point where you would need an exaflop at oh, yeah. the moment? Really? So what, what, what These math matter, it's for the transforms, man. I guess, only thing yeah, that makes sense, I guess. The yeah. only thing that's limiting you is how long you want to do the crunching. That's a good point. That's, oh man. My, uh, one of my electrical engineering professors would be ecstatic because she's a bit obsessed with Fourier transforms. Well, yeah, she ought to be a Institute of Physical Processing, isn't she? Yeah, well, she does acoustics, so. It's, it's the same. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the same, yeah. It's, she knows one of they are, they more from yeah, I'm going to have her listen to this. She'll, she'll freak out. It's going to be awesome. Well, yeah, we, and the problem is, is that when I was working for him, I was all uh, non-disclosure. Oh, yes, you couldn't say anything about it. Couldn't say anything. And now that I'm retired, it, you know, it doesn't, you know. So you mentioned at one point that you're thinking of writing a book. Well, what I'm thinking of doing, and um, I have all these stories and, and these designs that I went through that most people probably won't be seeing and approach to their environments for another five to ten years. Because, you know, how many, you know, the real world eventually catches up with what we were doing. So there's going to eventually be a real world where you're going to have, you know, terabit flows. Yeah, it's kind of terrifying to be honest, but yeah, definitely. And uh, so, you know, I was thinking of writing uh, down, we uh, start writing down and putting up on the web someplace, you know, uh, yeah, history, a history of the, a history of, of what I've, the, the structures I've done, design structures I've gone through. It's a fantastic idea. Um, yeah, I mean, you could even write a book and then publish it on Amazon for that matter, like, but. Okay, I had an, I had a, the assistant dean of the, the assistant dean of, of English at Texas A&M called me in his office at, in the last course, English course I took and said, Mr. Allen, I'm passing you for this course, but please give me the names of all your professors beforehand so I can fire them because you shouldn't have made it here. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. So, so uh, the beauty of self-publishing is that it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I don't want to publish. I'll, let, I'll leave my friends to do the publishing. I've, several of my friends are writers. You might even know their names. Maybe. I'm not very good at that sort of thing. But Steve Gould. Okay. I don't know who Steve Gould is. Uh, Martha. Martha Wells. She's, uh, yeah. Okay. There's, uh, this is, you know, so if they hear this, you know, they go, ooh, I mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. That's uh, quite the story. Um, do you have a website at the moment? Oh, I have the one that I set up, which people, eventually there'll be, eventually it might be something there, but it's hpcguys.com. Okay. And what does that stand for? H High Performance Compute Guys. Cool. High Performance HPC Network Guys.com. Excuse me, but yeah, I'm bad with words. It's okay. All one word, HPC Network Guys.com. But uh, eventually I'll probably start putting some stuff up there one of these days. So if you go to the site and there's just a countdown clock, well, that's probably me. I still haven't got off my little buttush to, <laughs> to write <laughs> to anything. To actually put it all together. But if anybody's interested and wanted to contact me through, you can contact me through that site. They do it. There's a contact information, web email address and stuff. Cool, yeah. Well, uh, a lot of different people listen to this, so they might. Well, good, nice talking to you. hope I was interesting enough. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. This is 
this is exactly the kind of thing that we like to. I really have on the love. Podcast. I really love crawling around the old that that spaceship and those old, old airplanes. I, I would, I would kill to be able to do something like that, and have been able to do something like that when I was younger. It's so much fun. Oh, it's just amazing world. You know, you you will you will never know. You know how close you people that you walk by and meet. You know that 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 later are or later are some people that you go. I knew him when. I knew Steve when he. We, we, the favorite phase was. You know, I, I want to be a writer so bad, and then we would scream, and we can taste it. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> oh man, yeah. That's, this is exactly the kind of thing that we look for, though. Um, I'm sorry, my co-host couldn't be here. His roof collapsed. <laughs> his roof collapsed. <laughs> yep. Yeah, he had a, a bit of a water leak in his house, and his roof collapsed. The inside roof, not the outside. Um, he didn't give details. Odds on. <laughs> Probably the inside. But, uh, yeah, it's a bit unfortunate. But, yeah, thanks again. Thank you. Yeah, that, that's, like I said, that's exactly what I was looking for. Cool, I mean.